This morning our passage comes from James chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you will pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man and not the rich, the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court. Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you are called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scriptures, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law of transgressors. For whoever, whosoever, keeps the whole law but falls in one point has become guilty of it all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Amen. You can be seated. Let's pray together. Father, we are humbled uh, to have the chance to be together with our faith family, with brothers and sisters in the Lord, with uh, new friends and old friends, with uh, this great opportunity, God, just to be together. And God, we come today not uh, because of uh, just some common interest or some um, common um, goal uh, that's of this world. But God, we come together for the common goal and the common interest of your gospel message. God, we come together today as sinners in need of a Savior. We come today as people uh, who are hungry and need to be fed. We come today as people who are needy and need grace. God, we pray uh, that your word that has uh, been at work in many of us for a while, God, would be at work in a special way even now. God, I pray that for our kids as they are back with their classes and as their teachers share the word, I pray your word would go powerfully out in our classrooms on the other side of this very building. God, I pray your word would continue to go out across the world today as your word is proclaimed in churches near and far. God, as people proclaim the good news of the gospel, may people repent and believe. God, may we repent, may we believe, and may we follow you today in faith. I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Early on in life, we develop things and preferences and favorites, do we not? Babies, even at a young age, develop, uh, I don't know why they do this, but they'll take one pacifier and they won't take the other. And you're like, why will you take this one and not the other one? Early on, kids develop a, a preference for some little snuggle thing. They have to have that to sleep, and they cannot sleep unless they have, maybe that's just my kids, I don't know, they're just y'all, your kids all slept great, okay, good. Uh, we all develop, uh, babies develop a preference for a certain baby food, and they'll only take, you know, they'll eat this one, they'll eat the sweet potatoes, but they won't eat the green beans, and they spit it out. 
We have all these preferences that as we go on, we just keep developing things we like and don't like. From the kids' blankets to the favorite toys, soon it's the favorite sport or the favorite game. Uh, in all our lives, we've got our favorite sports teams. We're going to cheer for this team and sure not going to cheer for that team, right? We've got our favorite uh, vacation spots, places you like to go. Like this, it's not summer until I get to go here, you know. You get excited about that. you got your favorite hobbies, your favorite cars, your favorite TV shows, and on and on. We are pretty good at developing our preferences, things we like, and all of our favorites. And that can be a good thing. That can be a good thing that makes us interesting and unique to have all these preferences. However, it's not okay to play favorites with people. With people. We can have a favorite sports team, but if you have a favorite child, you're going to get in trouble. You're going to get in trouble. But even beyond that, when we play favorites with any other people, things get messy. The Bible calls that favoritism or partiality, or uh, the King James calls it respecter of persons. And it's not okay. It's sinful. And we'll see today that it contradicts the gospel message itself. We're called to not play favorites. We started in the book of James just a few weeks ago, and we've said this book is, is all about how our faith goes to work. Faith that takes action. A faith that is not just quietly kept to itself, but a faith that impacts the way we live. It's working faith, functioning faith, faith that goes into our everyday lives. And so for the last few weeks through chapter 1, James brought up a whole bunch of different topics, kind of a, a summary of all the things he was going to say through the rest of the letter. And so then here on chapter 2, as we start on this, this section of the letter, he gets one central focused idea for a whole 13 verses, which is kind of a breath of fresh air in James. You're like, okay, I can focus now. I'm not ping-ponging, right? And he makes it really clear that he's going to talk about one thing for all 13 verses, and that is the sin of favoritism. Partiality or favoritism is an unfair bias or favor uh, toward a thing or a person compared to another. It's an unfair preferential treatment to one person or a group at the expense of another. And that's especially uh, the case here as the Bible uses it uh, for differentiating people on kind of the external and, and somewhat irrelevant things to people. Uh, so literally the word here is this compound word for to receive face, meaning to, to judge somebody, to, to preference, to, to judge them, kind of a, a book by its cover, to take the external things about somebody, like their face, and say, this is what I think about them just on that one characteristic alone. And James gives a, a powerful and tragic example of that from uh, his own, perhaps from his own experience. In verses 2 to 4 we read, for if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, meaning he comes to the church, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears fine clothing and you say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you sit over there or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? So whether this is something that, that literally happened or a, a hypothetical example of, of where it could leave, either way, this is, this is a tragic thing. I mean, imagine what this would be like if our church did this, where somebody comes in the doors and they're looking really nice and we, we, we make a big deal. We roll out the red carpet, so to speak. We bring them down to the, to the front row. Maybe, maybe that's the bad seat in church. I don't know. But we bring them out to a special seat and, and we say, hey, can we bring you a coffee, one sugar or two? You know, what can we do for you? And we do everything we can to support them and make them feel welcome. But then somebody comes in and maybe they just haven't taken a shower a little while and they didn't wear nice clothes, not that we all dress like whatever here, so maybe it wouldn't really stick out, but we just, you know, somebody comes in and, and you just, people just look at them funny. And we say, uh, sir, 
we need you to sit uh, all the way to the back. Or maybe it's, maybe it's the opposite. Maybe it's the front. I don't know. But we said, we're, we need you to stay out of the way and just, you know, don't get in the way. How, how ugly, how unchristlike, how unchristian would that be? The example from James is about money, about class, about our status in the world, about different socioeconomic status. But we could picture this play out in any number of different ways, right? He uses this example of, uh, of a class or, or of financial status, but probably the first, the next one that would come to our minds is race, right? That's the other thing we would think about that people get distinguished by so often in our culture. And the Bible itself makes that connection. Uh, in Romans 1, 2 to 9, two, sorry, 2, verses 9 to 11, we read how God will judge people no matter their race or ethnicity, Jew or Greek. In verse 11, it says, God shows no partiality. And the same word there for partiality is the same word that shows up here. So in Romans, he's addressing race. In James, he's addressing riches. But it's the same thing. And so this could show up in any number of different ways. Riches, race, it could be in uh, education level. Maybe, maybe a preferential treatment based on you know, how, how many degrees they got, how many letters after their name. Maybe it's about uh, just how smart they seem or how physically capable they are. Something they can do, physical talents they have. Uh, maybe it's based on certain skills or trade uh, or what kind of family they come from. Just by their last name, we're still a small town. Fountain is, at least for a little while, Fountain is kind of a small town, I think. And so people know families and you know people and you're like, oh, they're from that family and we prejudge them. Uh, anything you could, you could put on that list. We prejudge people so often or could based on superficial, kind of non-important different distinctions we make. And I, I want to I argue today that I, I think all of us are bent to do that in one way or the other. Probably as I originally read that to you about, oh, a rich person giving a different seat than a, than a poor person or, or prejudging somebody based on their race or their last name, you say, yeah, I know people like that, but I'm better than that. I'm better. I, I've learned. I've learned to be better than that, and I'm not like that. Well, praise God to the degree that that's true. Praise God. But I want to offer you today that, that we have a bent in our human heart that is tending toward this, that tends to show favoritism. We, we have learned in many ways in our more cultured society, more global society, to kind of hide that and, and, and not make it as, as prevalent and, and blatant as maybe previous generations have. But I think we all have a tendency to kind of bend toward showing favoritism. It may be intentional or not. It may be obvious. It may not. But I think most of us, if we're not careful, tend to favor people who are more like us than not. Now, no two people are identical, so there's always little differences. But in general, we tend to be associated with and spend more time with and like people more who have more things in common with us. And if we're not careful, that can grow into judging, into being ignorant of, and then, then uh, ultimately showing favoritism against people who are different than us. So I challenge you to, to be honest, to let the word speak into your heart today, to, say, to not be so quick to say, yes, I've got this one figured out, but to be transparent enough to be honest before God's word and say, God, even as we're reading this passage today, I want my heart to be open to see where do I show favoritism for or against people where I shouldn't. Can I, can I be honest? Can I, can I let my heart actually be open enough? Because as soon as, like, you know, we mentioned the race word, and people are like, oh, I don't want to talk about that, you know. But, but can we just be honest? Can we, can we lay our hearts before God long enough and not quickly throw up a guard, a wall fast enough that we can actually let God speak into our lives?
Where do, you, where do you avoid people? Where do you avoid making eye contact? Who do you silence on social media? Who do you want to make sure that you don't listen to or that you are quick to shut off? Who, who are the people that you're going to crowd out of your life, if at all possible? My goal today for this passage in James is for us to be honest about our tendencies toward favoritism and then to be prayerful about God changing our hearts, about God transforming us. If we can see it, if God's light can shine into our hearts, then He can get to the root of it. What's causing it? What's underneath that? Why do we act that way toward people? And if God can shine His light in there, then He can dig it out and He can replace it with gospel fruit. From these verses in James 2, I think the clear overarching theme is this. Show mercy without favoritism, just as Christ showed mercy to you. Show mercy without favoritism, just as Christ showed mercy to you. Verse 1, he said, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. If you've been walking through James now, I think this is the fourth time, third or fourth time that he's referenced brothers. And so he starts a new thought with this as a way of reminding who he's talking to. Hey, say, hey, this is brothers and sisters in the Lord. We are co-Christians. We are believers together. We're a part of the same family. And if we are Christians together, if we are a family, then we should not be marked by favoritism or partiality. He's speaking of something that is, is core to the Christian's ethic, core to how we live as Christians. Now, the world actually agrees with us, the, kind of the, the popular culture actually agrees with that idea that there shouldn't be favoritism. But the Bible speaks much deeper about the, the why. We, the, the world disagrees about the why. The world may say out there, yeah, of course you shouldn't play favorites. Of course you shouldn't be racist or classist. But the Bible has a different foundation that's a much deeper and much more fruitful root. And we get that here exactly from what he says in verse 1. Partiality is wrong because we have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. That's what makes partiality wrong. And here's what he means by that. There's all kinds of reasons here in the gospel message. But it's not accidental that the first thing he says is no partiality as you hold faith. If you believe, you can't have partiality. He says, if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the Lord of glory. He says, you, you want to show favoritism? He didn't really say this, but picture it this way. You want to show favoritism? There's only one who's worthy of favorite. There's only one favorite, the Lord of glory. Everybody else is second to that. He is the only one worthy to be worshipped. He does say that. He's the only one to be exalted. He's the only one to be praised. So we don't hold anybody else up to a pedestal and say they're more important than anybody else. No, Jesus is most important. I have faith in Him. We believe in Him. He is Lord and Savior over all. And all the rest of us are His created beings. There is one Lord. I'm not it. You're not it. Nobody is it except for Jesus. Jesus is the Lord, the Lord of glory. He is the most glorious, worshipped, awe-inspiring creator, sustainer, and Savior. The only one in the whole world. He alone is worthy of our worship. Nobody else. So we don't privilege other people with a status of worship. We honor people. We respect people. We admire people. We applaud people. We don't worship other people. We worship God. He is, in that way, a favorite. He is above all other things. And what's remarkable about that Lord, that Savior, the one who is reigning over all, who is the greatest being of all times, is that he came and humbled himself. He came to earth and ser served people. He said, I did not come uh, to, to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. 
He came and he laid down his glory. He laid down his rights. He laid down his very life to serve other people so that we could know him and be saved by him. The Son of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, poured himself out for the sake of us so that we could be saved. So James says, if you are a Christian, a brother or sister, if you have faith in Jesus Christ, then it would be incredibly hypocritical to say, I follow Jesus, who is Lord of glory and serves other people, and say, I follow him, but I'm going to look down on these people. That's incredibly hypocritical. There's no way you can have faith in Jesus, glorious king, sacrificed his own life. I follow him, but I'm better than so-and-so. That just doesn't make sense. James says it does not go together. It cannot go together. It is astonishingly hypocritical to, be, to say you're a Christian and then to be judgmental, to show disdain, discrimination, favoritism against someone else. If we claim Christianity and, and, and we are living that kind of lifestyle, we're forgetting something major, forgetting something really important. And a handful of different things. I think one of them is that we are forgetting about how great God is and how much grace He has given to us. If we are casting judgment, if we are being prejudiced towards somebody, we're forgetting the mercy we have received. The Savior of all gave us incredible mercy. And God has led us then to love people differently. His very nature, God's very nature, is to be an impartial, holy, and righteous judge. I already read to you Romans 2.11, but we see the same description of God in Ephesians 6.9. There is no partiality with Him. Or again in Galatians 1.6, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. The Lord of glory, who is better than everybody else, can be impartial, can be loving, can be, show mercy to all, and He calls us to do the same. The rest of this section of James is kind of built, all building that case. All these different reasons for why this is true that we are called to show mercy if we've received mercy. We cannot show favoritism if we have received mercy. And my prayer that, that these, these reasons would motivate us, again, to be transparent and to let God root them out. So one case James makes is this uh, in verses 8 and 9. Favoritism breaks Christ's royal law of loving your neighbor as yourself. You want to get to, to, to one of the reasons why we don't, or one of the things that makes favoritism wrong? Favoritism breaks Christ's royal law of loving your neighbor as yourself. Verse 8 and 9, If you really fulfill the royal law according to Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. So favoritism is not how we want to be treated, if we're honest. Like you may think, hey, it's kind of nice sometimes when I get special treatment. But when it's at the expense of others, we realize, hey, wait, wait, this, this wouldn't be fun if I was on the other end of this, would it? We don't want to be treated on the bad end of favoritism. So therefore, if we practice favoritism, we are not loving our neighbor. We're not practicing the golden rule. We're not loving our neighbor as we want to be treated. We're not loving them as ourselves. If we neglect somebody, ignore somebody, ostracize somebody, prejudge somebody, lack mercy towards somebody, we're not treating them like we want to be treated. And Jesus is teaching that now James is carrying on Jesus is the one that gave us the golden rule and pointed this in law. We are now showing this is favoritism and is breaking the royal law. And that's a very cool phrase that he gives for us, the royal law. When, when Jesus was asked about the most important commandments, you remember this, he said the first most important commandment is to love the Lord your God with everything, 
with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But the second, he's quick to put in. The second is to love your neighbor as yourself. So James knew his older brother, Jesus, that if who he was, he was Christ, he's king. And so anything he says is the royal law, is the royal law. And if you're going to be a part of the kingdom, then you're going to practice the royal law. And the royal law is to love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 11 prevents us from saying, well, I may have discriminated, but I, I showed a little bit of favoritism, but, you know, I haven't murdered, so I, and I haven't committed adultery, so, you know, uh, you know. Verse 11 says, we can't play that game. Verse 10 says, for whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of it all. Become guilty of the whole thing. You're either a sinner or you're not. There's two categories, sinner or not. And I'll give you a heads up, there's only one who is not. And it's not you and me again. It's all of us are sinners. Jesus is the only one who's not. Now, it is a misreading of this verse to say that all sins are equal in the sense they all have the same consequences. Like, as a dad, I would much rather you take my kids' lunch money than take their life. And God is not, God is not oblivious to that. So it's a misreading, I think, to come to this verse, as some people do sometimes, and say, hey, all sins are equal in God's eyes. Well, we're all sinners, but they, all have, they do have different consequences. And it's okay to acknowledge that God's not foolish about, about consequences. And, and even that, even Jesus himself, Matthew chapter 10, he warns the towns where he sends his disciples out and says, if they reject his disciples that are messengers from the king himself, Matthew 10, 15, he says, truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. So Jesus himself distinguishes how bad it's going to be. Like here's Sodom and Gomorrah, and it's even worse for the people who rejected his disciples. So he, he acknowledges there's differences here. But what he is saying, so he's not saying that all sins are, are, are equal, they have the same consequences. What he is saying is that you're either a sinner or you're not. You either broke the law or you're not. I can't say, oh, I've kept nine of the Ten Commandments, so I'm like a 90% Christian. Or, you know, the Pharisees, they counted uh, 613 test commandments in the Old Testament. Oh, I've kept 610 of them, so I'm a, whatever that percentage works out. I'm that, that good of a Christian. No, 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 you're either a sinner or you're not. So I, I compare it to this. The law of God, God's law, God's righteous law, is not like a big giant piece of tissue paper that if you take a, t a baseball and you throw it through it, you'd make a hole the size of a baseball and you say, ah, oh, there's the one part I messed up. I kept everything, but here's the, here's the one hole in, in my keeping of the law. No, God's law is not like that. God's law is like a giant piece of glass. And if you throw the baseball through it, the whole thing shatters. Either it's shattered or it's not. There's no in-between. Not just one little hole. The whole thing is shattered. And he says, if you committed favoritism or adultery or murder or any of them, you threw the baseball, you hit the glass, it's shattered. You're a transgressor. You've committed sin against God, and so therefore you need mercy. And that's all of us. All of us have done that. All of us has thrown, have thrown the ball through, through the glass. All of us need mercy. So we're called to show mercy without favoritism, just as Christ shows mercy to us. Love your neighbor as a way of showing mercy to them just as you have received mercy from Him. Another root of our prejudices and partiality is that we forget that very truth. We look down on somebody else as if they are worse than us because they have, we say, because of their sin, I'm better than them. Look, look they may have, maybe they threw the ball at the glass more times. <laughs> maybe they threw it harder. But we all threw the ball. We've all broken the glass. All of our glass is broken. So we cannot look down on somebody. We cannot hold back mercy from them as if we're better than them. We, hold the, we all hold the same truth here. We are all sinners. 
Maybe, there, maybe it's different consequences, but we're all sinners. As followers of Christ the King and as citizens of His kingdom, we're called to obey the royal law, to love our neighbors as ourselves. There's good reason not to show favoritism. Here's one more, Favor, or, or the second one. Favoritism contradicts Christ's example and the gospel pattern. Verse 5, listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to, uh, to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which He's promised to those who love Him? So the example that he's given here is of, of people who don't have a lot of material things, but they have faith, but they have faith. And that looks so backwards. The world would say, hey, here's this rich person. Show them lots of honor and attention. And Jesus said, I, I'd much rather have the poor person who has faith than the rich person who doesn't. And over and over again in the scriptures, we see where Jesus is going toward those people. He has eyes. It's not that Jesus thinks everybody's exactly the same. No, no, no. They're people. We have differences. And it's okay to see that. But he says, notice the differences that matter. Notice the differences that matter. The rich person who's tempted to love their stuff, they're not following the Lord. But if a poor person has faith, that's the person who's following Jesus. Jesus is pointing out so often that's the way God works in the world. It's upside down from the way the world expects him to work. He chose, sometimes he chooses the poor to be rich in faith. The Bible's not calling us to put on blinders, to ignore people's differences to be colorblind or to not acknowledge people's different uh, races or, or, or st social status. It's just, it's, just a, it's just foolish. We can't do that. But God says, put on eyes of faith to see what really matters. You want to you see eyes with eyes of faith to know what really matters? Man, see not somebody's class or, their, their, or where they came from or anything like that. Acknowledge it. It's a part of who they are. But then say, what, what's your faith like? And when you meet somebody of tremendous faith, you want to acknowledge that and say, I, I want to learn from you. Or you meet somebody who... Very baby faith. How can I help you? How can we all work together? How can we see this? So see the differences and then help one another grow together. Maybe we see that in one another. We see the way we can support and encourage one another when we have eyes of faith. Faith, faith is not just information. Faith is not just what we think. You notice in verse 5, he says, uh, those who are poor in the world, he chose them to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he's promised to those who what? Those who love him. So there's a little, just a little nugget of a truth of a definition for faith. Faith is not just information in our heads. It's not just a list of facts. It's people who love the Lord. You know what we want to have eyes to see? We want to see people who love the Lord. People who have a genuine affection and desire for the Lord. And we want to follow after those kinds of people. Sometimes people who have less love the Lord more. And we say, okay, I want to follow that example. I want to follow Christ. Favoritism, it contradicts Christ's example of loving all kinds of people and loving, their, loving the, what's spiritual about them most. And the gospel pattern of sometimes it's backwards from the way the world thinks. That leads us to one more final, final compelling reason he gives us to not show favoritism. And that's this, that favoritism forgets Christ's coming judgment. Favoritism forgets Christ's coming judgment. Verse 12, so speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. We saw that phrase earlier in, in James, in James chapter 1, and there is so much theology in that sentence that I think by 1 o'clock I should be able to explain this verse to you. No, I won't take that long. But this is so good. We are saved by grace. Amen? We are saved by grace. You and I will not stand before the judgment seat of God and He tally up all of our good and bad and say, ah, your good outweighed your bad by 4.3 points, so therefore you can come in. Or I'm sorry, you're, you were three points shy so I'll never see you again. Go to hell. Praise God that we are saved by faith. It is your faith alone that saves you. And at the same time, 
God, as well the whole point, James, so many different places in Scripture, reminds us that when we have received that grace, it translates into action. It translates into real good work. Our actions are not the basis for our salvation, but they are evidence for our salvation. When we stand before God, God does judge our actions. We get in on Christ alone, Christ's grace alone. But God looks at our actions as one more evidence of whether that grace was in us. The Bible makes it clear, places like this, verse 12, that our actions are not irrelevant. They're, they are evidence. And so one day, fellow brother or sister in the Lord, we all will be judged. We will stand before the judgment seat, and our, our actions are on the table. It's not how we get in, but God sees our actions. And so we, if we have lived an entire life claiming faith while also practicing favoritism against anybody based on their race or their class or any kind of partiality and, and claim, claiming saving faith while that, then Christ very well might say, you, you've been living a lie. You've been living a lie. Depart from me. I never knew you. Racism, classism, favoritism, those could be evidence that we were living a lie our entire lives. And James is using that rightfully to say, there's a warning here. There's a warning here. This is not just like some fringe issue. If we are keeping sin like favoritism or any other sin in our lives and we're just happy with it, then apparently Christ's spirit is not in us. Because if Christ's spirit was in you, you wouldn't be able to take that. You wouldn't be able to live with that. You might fall into it, but you'd repent. And you get back up and say, God, I need your help. I need your help. There is a coming judgment. And your actions are on the table because they are evidence of whether or not Christ is in your heart. When we have been brought forth by the word, word James 1.18 says, when we have received the implanted word, James 1.21, then we have been liberated from the penalty of sin and the power of sin. If God's word is in you, then that bent we talked about, that desire to show favoritism, it doesn't have ultimate control over you. It does not rule over you because the word is in you and the spirit is in you. It may be a battle. It is a battle. All kinds of sins we battle with, but they don't rule us. We are not bound to them. We are judged under the law of liberty. And now that we are set free, our actions can be conformed to Christ. Not overnight. It takes time, but our shackles have been taken off and we can live a life that's not a life of favoritism. So fellow Christians, just as, as Pastor James did 2,000 years ago, I want to shepherd you enough to say there, there is a judgment coming. There is a very real judgment coming. And if we are, are comfortable with sin in our lives, then we have to question if the Spirit is in our lives. There is a judgment coming, and James warns us, eternity is in the balance. Don't pretend like racism or classism or favoritism or any other sin that we hold on to is not a big deal. It is. If we hold it in our hearts and, are, and love it more than we love Jesus, then we don't know Jesus because Jesus is better. Jesus is better. So don't hold on to it. Don't, don't enjoy it, but get rid of it. And if you don't, verse 13 says, judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. James, he sounds so much like his brother Jesus, doesn't he? Jesus tells a parable in Matthew 18 about a servant who owed the king a lot of money. And not just like a lot, a lot, but a lot, a lot, a lot. It was 10,000 times 20 years worth of wages. So however much money you would make in 200,000 years, that's how much money the servant owed to the king. And the, servant, the king was going and collecting his debts, and he realized how much this guy owes. He was going to throw him into prison. And the servant asked 
the most ridiculous question. Give me some more time and I'll pay it off. 200, you're not going to be able to pay it off, right? Whatever. But the king has mercy. The king is incredibly gracious and has mercy and says, your debts are forgiven. You can go free. And what does the servant do? He leaves and he goes and he finds another servant, somebody who owes him money. He owes him 100 days worth of wages. So not a small amount of money, but compared to 200,000 years of wages, it's, you know, pretty small. And he demands it of the other servant. And when that servant begs for more time so he could pay it off, he has no mercy and he throws him into prison. People who see that say, well, there's just something not right about this picture. And so they go and report it to the king. And when they bring it back uh, to the king, the king tells him, brings back in his servant and says, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And then Jesus says, so also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Which sounds exactly like what James just said. For judgment is without mercy to the one who shows no mercy. To the one who's shown no mercy. James and Jesus are both teaching us that if you have received the grace of God, it's going to overflow into showing grace toward other people. It's going to overflow in mercy. And if we are looking at any group of people and saying, I, I will not associate with them. They are, they are not good enough to be with me. I'm not going to spend time with them. I'm going to exclude this group of people for whatever superficial, external thing you can think of and say, I'm better than them. Then we have to wonder if we've received God's grace because he has forgiven 200,000 years worth of money and way more than that when he forgave your sins on the cross. Whatever your brother has done against you or whatever your brother's done that's just different than you pales in comparison to the debt, you've been, the, debt, the debt that's been paid for you. If you have received mercy without favoritism from Christ, then we're called to show that kind of mercy to other people. I'm convicted by this passage as I have many times before, unfortunately, that my bent is to spend time with people who look like me, talk like me, do things like I do. And my concern is that the further I'm isolated from people that are not like me, the more I've become to not like them. I don't, I don't love them because I'm not spending time with them. Are we spending time with people who are different than us? Are we spending time with people that are, that are not like us? The devil will tell us some thinly veiled lies about, oh, this is the reason why and that's the reason why we're not with them. But more likely than not, it's just, it's just a sin of favoritism. Are we willing to root that out of our lives and say, God, I need you to continue to show me mercy, even in this area. Shine light into it. Pull it out by the roots and bear fruit from it. Show mercy. If you've, been, if you've received mercy, you've received it without favoritism. And so you're called and invited to a life of fruit, showing, favor, showing mercy instead of favoritism to your neighbor.